This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 534 for November 16th, 2016. Hello and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, your co-host and a senior contributor at Macworld. Joining me is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I am, uh, you know, I'm good. I'm good. Good. I hope life will be feel better when I look at pretty pictures in a book that's way too expensive. Oh, but, my goodness. Um, you know, people talk a lot about um, about that whole thing of, well, if Steve Jobs were alive. And most of the time, I think it's just garbage. Like, people don't know what he would say. Steve said, don't think of me when making decisions in the future. Make your own direction. I don't want to hold the company back by people thinking, what would Steve do? That's all true, right? But a <laughs> couple things stand out. The fact that the original Apple Watch, when you lifted it from your wrist and you looked at it and the time didn't immediately come on, my reaction was Steve would never have let that happen. He would not have let it ship until when you turned the watch to look at you, the face was always on because that's the kind of detail that ruins your experience every time you use it. The other thing is this new Apple Book, Susie. <laughs> the book is problematic, Glenn. Oh, it's not the right time. I have a right lot of time. feelings. It's I have, called, the timing is timing, crass. It's called Designed by Apple in California. It costs a billion dollars. No, I'm sorry. I don't even think they have the price. It's oh, yeah. 200 for the regular, for the the, the smaller one, and oh, 300, 300 for the larger one. Yeah. And for Book Plus, if It's you exclusively will. available. Ordered on, I know, Book Plus, right? These I book and book plus. They're not calling it that. I, oh, I, I, I made that joke in our Slack that I stole from someone's Twitter and uh, and people were like, oh my God, are they really calling it that? No, and I was like, no, but the fact that you thought that they would be just tells us a lot. It's called Designed by <laughs> Apple in California. It covers from 1998's iMac, an interesting cutoff point to the Apple Pencil in 2015, documents, materials, and techniques. I would call this the... Johnny Ive asked for it and nobody decided to say no book. It's the kind of book he should have done on his own with a third-party publisher uh, as an art book that was outside the company that Apple authorized. Having the company produce this thing, this is indulgent. Here's what would have fixed it, though. Here's what would fix it. Oh, yeah. So they actually yeah. put out a press release for this. They put like that it's dedicated to to the memory of Steve Jobs. And that was like in its own paragraph. Like yep. it's a selling point. Like this is like they're using this to kind of like market it to me. Like we feel like this is really important that you know this. We're going to tell you right in the press release. Here's what that paragraph should have continued. And all the proceeds will go to a cancer charity, to Product Red, to scholarships for design students. Um, Apple just announced that they're rolling out Apple Pay for nonprofits, right. so nonprofits can take donations yep. with Apple Pay. How about hey, when you buy it, you can designate one of our you know nonprofit Apple Pay launch partners to receive like ten percent of the purchase price. There is no charitable component to this whatsoever, and that would have changed my feelings about it instantly and totally. And I'm like really disappointed in them like this is gross it's an indulgent product project that um you know johnny ive is quoted in one interview saying you know we didn't have we didn't have the products that we made we didn't own 
some of the models. And that's because Steve Jobs threw the damn he, uh, things out because he is <laughs> he did not have sentiment. You know, there was an internal museum. And when Steve Jobs came yep. back, he got rid of all that. Yep. He got rid of I, the Icon Garden. That was, was in my notes to mention that he yeah. was an, an he was like anti-nostalgia. And, and and I think he was too harsh in that direction. I think it's okay to embrace the nostalgia of fans without pandering to it. People have a deep and abiding long-term love for Apple. They could have subsidized, you know, a wing at the computer museum history museum in California which is a great place. There's all kinds of things they could have done. But, he, you know, they threw out the Icon Garden, which had the giant oversized, you know, which Google sort of picked up the theme with the big uh, Android icons they have around campus. Um, Jobs, you know, didn't want the old Apple papers. They donated those to, uh, what, Stanford, I think, or something. And uh, um, while I think there was a place for slightly more sentimentality than Steve had, but this just, oh, my God, this is like, our baby is so beautiful. We want everyone to have the opportunity <laughs> to purchase an expensive book the proceeds go to us and then uh. and then his line johnny ives line about how he wants us to be like you know uh like basically like a not he didn't say textbook but like you know resource for design students oh, or whatever but it and doesn't it's just pictures it doesn't talk about like their process their designers like how they iterate like any kind of like insight into the making of these products it's just like here's some pretty pictures aren't we special it's arrogance. And I mean, like, we're the kind of people who end up defending Apple when they do crazy things like release a mouse that you have to, like, you know, stick a cable into the bottom of it to charge. <laughs> I wonder if that's in this book. I bet they left the that pencil, one out. The pencil um, is. So maybe that is, too. Yeah. The pencil's um, in the book. But, yeah. So I, it and, seems and we're coarse. the ones who have to defend them. And now it's going to be so much harder. No, like it, seems, it seems coarse. It seems boorish. It seems it's boorish. B-O-O-R. ISH just to be even more pretentious about it. It upsets me. I'm upset about this. I, I just find it it doesn't it's the kind of thing I would expect another company to do to preen about the success Apple has always been about. I was trying to think what other company would do this. I was like Tesla? Microsoft. Wait, in Tesla Tesla it would actually be fine from Tesla because part of what they're selling is that attitude, the Elon Musk attitude. Like yeah. if they did it, it would cost like $5,000 and it would only be available in like an edition of a hundred at some special event that he was three hours late to. Right. I mean, that's well, and car manufacturers do make like pretty brochures with yeah. like lots of porn about their cars, but they don't sell them for, for hundreds of dollars. It's the whole thing. No, you're right. If it had been a charity thing, if this had been designed by Apple, charity thing, I would love it. I'd be tweeting it. I'd right. be like, this is, such a good gift for charity. Parentheses, like Bono, yeah. Bono was involved. It's all right. So we, you know, we can probably only criticize it so much. I'm sure it's fine. It's also, I think uh, our friend Christina Warren said, I never thought Apple would Sherlock a book because there's a book out that's about, it's an Apple design book. I, I've forgotten the title Iconic? of it. Iconic? Is it called uh, Iconic? I think that's it, right? That's a collection of, um, of photos and, you know, of the history of Apple and, um, is it by uh, yeah? Here we go. It's iconic book, and it's iconicbook.com. Yeah, tri a photographic. So let's promote that iconicbook.com. I don't care if any proceeds go to charity. It looks beautiful. Looks well produced. I have not seen it. Um, it's got special editions, and I believe oh, they call one of their editions the classic plus edition. Uh -huh. oh. uh, and I don't think it's shipping yet, right? So. Um, but now it probably seems yeah it's a hundred bucks. Make one that looks like it's being shoved into that old Mac that you could like shove that thing into. I forget what it's called now. That's cute. Totally yeah, so that that book is expensive. You can get a hundred dollar version that looks terrific, and there's more. But it's still uh, it looks like it's a more extensive look at the thing. Anyway, so we can we can go on and on about this. But it feels um, when people talk. So when outside critics talk, and then the Macalope uh, ridicules them about 
certain kinds of things about Apple, like, you know, fanboyism, like Apple is doomed, whatever, or Apple has lost its focus. It can't make a lot of stuff. The MacBook Pro, followed by the price reduction of adapters when Apple didn't realize that people would be so upset about that, followed by this book, just does not, it doesn't, you know, no announcement of new Macs. I don't lose my hope for Apple. It does make me feel like they're pursuing the wrong direction in terms of how they're trying to reach the customers they need to, to continue to become a, be a vibrant company that's making products for the future. They're not doomed, but they've got buttloads of money and they're making piles of profit, but I am not happy about this. I think this was a big misstep. I think they're going to get a lot of criticism and I think it's well-deserved. And I'm really interested to see if they're going to answer this criticism or if they're just going to be courageously silent. Courageous, courageous. Um, so, Shoot. All right. Wow. That was a lot of, we have some pent up anxiety about other yeah, things. Yeah. Piss and vinegar. There's other stuff going on in the world and I think we might be taking it out on Apple, but I think they deserve it. They can handle it. They're, <laughs> they're worth 200 or trillion dollars or something. Um, Susie, let's go on to happier news. Um, we're going to talk about a few other things Please. this week, but uh, let's go into happier news. Um, we'll talk about the surveillance state later. That's a different bit of happiness. Uh, but you, uh, you know, since the last time we talked last week, you had uh, reviewed the 13 inch MacBook Pro Escape Edition that uh, <laughs> lacked the touch bar and had hardware keys for escape and function keys. And you'd found it kind of lackluster compared to what you wanted. Now you've had a chance to uh, work with and review the new MacBook Pro with touch bar. So um, you were, uh, seem to me to be quite a bit more positive about the whole experience. Tell me what it's like to work with this new uh, model. I'm into the touch bar. I really like it. Um, it's definitely not going to be for everybody. And, you know, of course, uh, saying something on the Internet, you're going to hear from people who disagree with you. And some what? people are like, you know, I use keyboard shortcuts for everything. And I remember 10 million keyboard shortcuts and I never take my hands off the keys and I can type a million words a minute. Um, and that's great. I'm super happy for you. Uh, I remember <laughs> some keyboard shortcuts. I mean, like your really obvious ones. But there I'm still learning keyboard shortcuts that I never knew were there. And sometimes um, I really like how the touch bar just surfaces um, controls that you might not know about, you might not be using, or you might just, you know, want to have in another place. Like um, when you get a dialogue box, the buttons on the dialogue box, I think that there's a way to select, you know, either one with the keyboard. I can never really remember it. Um, and so it's nice to have them on the touch bar. I don't have to reach down for the trackpad. I just reach up. It's a small thing. Um, I don't really love the keyboard, so but I, I like the touch bar enough that the, the keyboard doesn't annoy me as much as it did on the Escape Edition. But I still, you know, I'm having errors um, with the, the trackpad sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I um, think Jason Stell also pointed that out. I think I heard him talking about that like one in every... 10 or 20 clicks were being missed on the trackpad. Did you have that same kind of experience? Oh, no, it's not missing clicks, but it's oh. not um, the palm rejection. Oh, like palm when I'm rejection. typing, I think I'm typing on the keyboard like extra hard. Interesting. Um, because of the low travel, I want to really like pound on it. And then I'm brushing the trackpad and my cursor will fly up a couple lines and I'll be typing in the middle of another word and oh, I'll no. have to, you know, notice and, and fix it. So they can improve it doesn't that. happen yeah. like constantly, but it's like, you know, a couple times a day. The missing click thing. So you didn't experience that. Jason was, uh, I think, writing about that uh, in his Review and um, I have not read that elsewhere, but I think that's you know those are both if it's if it's a trackpad issue, then it can be fixed with firmware. And I think did you, did you have both a 13 and a 15 inch model, or do you have just the 13 inch model? I have them both. Yeah, I'm so mostly you, using the 13. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but you're able to experience me. with both. That's good. I think Jason had. I think they gave all the reviewers 
both models, which is clever because then everyone can get a chance. I, got the th- I mean, this is a little inside baseball. I got the 13 first and then I got the 15 a few days later. So I was already like really just, you know, buddies with the 13. And I've been, you know, using the 15, but I keep going back to the 13. I like it. Oh, hey, I want to I want to double back. I was trying to figure out if uh, if it was um, uh, John Gruber wrote a very long review. It's actually been interesting to read all the reviews. Um, you know, I read yours first, and I read uh, you know Jason Snell has one. There's ones uh, Brian X Chen had an interesting take that I think was much more negative than yours. I would say not negative didn't about like the touch bar. I saw in a tweet, yeah, but I didn't read his right. yet. I think it's going to be more. I think it's going to be somewhat polarizing because it's a new modality of working. My initial reaction was very negative because I didn't think it would integrate. Then as I heard from people who used it and just tried to have more of you know an open mind i tried to have an I open like mind it. i mean there's like it. I, it's cool like that it. you can customize it that's yeah. pretty neat like you can't even really customize the keyboard on an ipad very much but you know my first experience with the ipad pro keyboard i was loving just how the software keyboard on the ipad pro had so much more room and they were putting extra controls in and like here's the button to attach you know a, a a photo to your email and things like that. Just little handy shortcuts. I love that stuff. So that is the touch bar brings that, you know, level of handy shortcuttiness to your mm-hmm. Mac. So I'm digging it. I really like, I mean, I like how you can customize it. That's really cool. And I also like how there's just little things. So remember when Safari um, puts a little, uh, uh, icon when a, a video is playing in one of your oh, tabs yeah. and you can't tell which one it is and there's that muting thing. Now, if you're on a tab and a video is playing somewhere on that page, you don't have to like hunt for the video. There's just a pause button right there in your touch bar. So that's a small thing, but it makes such a big difference. And the touch bar is full of experiences like that. Like we've all been using these Macs for years and the, you know, the basic way of using them hasn't really changed mm-hmm. and this is adding kind of a new level of surprise there's like some predictability going on um, when you're filling out a form in safari like i was dissing um quick type for not being able to keep up with my yeah, typing yeah. but if you're filling out a form in safari you know how your iphone will say like oh you're in an email field here's like um let me suggest your three email addresses you use the most and you just tap the one that's great of course i have text expander snippets for all my email addresses but just tapping the touch bar is even faster um you can set up things like if you i i there's a little um quick quick actions kind of bar on the side it's annoying that the touch bar has like subsections but the the one that lives all the way over to the right it's like four, your four favorite controls mm-hmm. and you can select any four you want and one of them that I put in there since I take a lot of screenshots is the screenshot control so I tap that and then yeah there's different key commands for all the different screenshots I do have those memorized but th- this makes it easier they, they show up it says okay this is going to default to going to your desktop if you want to change it to going to the clipboard or going to an email like that's just a a tap away you don't have to remember oh is it shift command option three or is it shift option control like so yeah it's all just right there well every i think every apple every apple innovation i think has been to make it better for newer users also Mm -hmm. like apple at some levels they abandon experienced users who can kind of make their own way and some of us get frustrated like even the usb-c choice is part of the abandoning the past which they didn't do with the book uh abandoning the past to go forward and i think the touch bar to my mind i wonder if this is a more discoverable like um, friendly way for people who don't know the screenshot. I mean, don't know the uh, the menu keys, uh, the uh, the keyboard shortcuts, the menu items. If you don't know those, and then the touch bar exp- exposes them contextually, it on your keyboard layer. 
right? So you're a new user. You're coming to the software and those options are there without you hunting for them. That seems like it's more efficient and pleasant for new users. And I expect that veteran users will be less – they'll like it less because they've mastered all the stuff. And as you talk about it, like there's plenty of software I use too. I use it infrequently enough, but then seriously intensively. And I don't remember where everything is like being able to have a bar I've customized or one that's even default or contextual to each operation I'm doing. It sounds fantastic to me. Um, and uh, so you, but you said, uh, let me double back to something. You're still having the problem with uh, quick type suggestions, right? You had said that in quick testing, when you had a uh, time in the hands-on area at the launch event, you saw this, you're still seeing this with the models that you got. They both lag substantially when uh, in providing those suggestions as you type. Yeah, I was even trying to test it. So I found a typing test online. It was like a one minute test and it said, okay, you typed 92 words in that minute and you made eight mistakes. So let's call it like 84 words a minute. I think it was calling it. Um, So then I tried to do it again with QuickType and I had to slow down to get, you know, to have the QuickType be able to sort of keep up with me. I would like type three letters and then kind of pause and see if like that word came up on QuickType and then hit it. But the typing test I was using like wasn't, it wasn't recognizing a word entered by QuickType as a mm-hmm. word I had typed. Like it would only it would only recognize the three letters I had typed. So I need to like try to find more typing tests and try this again. But I had to consciously slow down if I want to use the QuickType thing. But you know how sometimes you, I mean, you were not always like you know typing with both hands like at full speed. Uh, sometimes you're eating a sandwich or some <laughs> Doritos and you're typing with one hand. It's okay, I do it too. Um, and then you're kind of hunting and pecking with one finger. So in those situations, quick type rules because you know you type three letters and the word might pop up, and that's great. Um, it's you know so and and if you're typing and you're like misspelling the word, you're just mangling it and you're not sure that you know autocorrect is going to get it or you have autocorrect turned off because it's annoying Mm -hmm. um quick quick type could help you out there but just for regular typing like it's i have not found that useful at at first i was like oh that's so neat that it's there because i love it on ios but it has not been as useful on the mac except for those you know one-handed computing situations that's not a euphemism the dorito option yeah i'm eating doritos Doritos. yeah the dorito i want to type with one hand it's a great option. I do a lot of snacking at my computer. Just real talk. I, I'm I'll sorry. T- I'll tell you this. Now. So, um, you know, folks, uh, folks, you, you know that everyone getting these review units, no one's collaborating on the reviews. These are all separate reviews written by different people. And I can't tell you how many reviews said, here's how the touch bar works and went into it like yours did. Rightly so. It's a new feature. It's distinct. Uh, and the USB-C stuff has been covered extensively because you didn't need a machine to talk about it. Yeah, I kind of left it out. And then said, by the way, there's a computer attached to this touch bar. There are multiple multiple reviews like yours that said it because it's like oh yeah yeah there's at least two others i'm sorry we all had the same deadline we all the same embargo and like i mean even if we hadn't like you wouldn't go read other people's reviews while you're writing your own review because like you just wouldn't do i wouldn't do that so that's really funny yeah that was like i was like what a clever transition oh it's still it is clever doesn't matter it's clever even if all people used it that it's clever because because all my smart handsome peers used it as well all the questions have been about the touch bar how you know is it is it worth buying this new machine you know and then so you did you did benchmarking you tested it you looked at performance we've seen more people who uh there's that piece at uh was it business insider forgetting where Apple says it's so much faster, but Geekbench was like, yeah, it's a little faster. So I don't know. They must have better benchmarks. There could be certain – wait, who said it was so much faster? I missed You know, and when Apple, like, introduces it on stage and they're like, it's 40% faster than the last one. Like, my benchmarks were like, it's like four or five. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's certain tasks will be the question. Like, what are you? I know the Geekbench measures a lot of stuff more broadly, and Apple is always like, it's seventy three percent faster if you're doing this certain kind of editing operation in Final Cut Pro and blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, and I miss uh, our lab. Yeah, I'm I mean, gonna... this is not a speed bump. This is a um, design bump. I, I actually recommend John Gruber's uh, review of this at Daring Fireball. He talked about the way in which. This um, like Apple shifted from MacBook and MacBook Pro, put the MacBook Air in the mix, and the MacBook Air was the first model in which it was more expensive with a less performance, lower performance. So you're paying specifically for the design, and you know more particularly for the lightness and size. And he said that was kind of the transition again. Like the MacBook, uh, the 12-inch MacBook, again, was the same thing. The, Ma- the mm-hmm. MacBook Air dropped in price. It had become a standard, uh, very well-balanced uh, price-to-performance ratio. So Apple stuck a MacBook in there that, again, is like the old MacBook Air. And now the MacBook Pro is coming in without necessarily substantially better performance at the same level as before. But it's a shift. And then over time, the MacBook and MacBook Pro will wind up becoming, filling in these roles, becoming cheaper relative to performance as performance. Performance grows faster than you know the price point, um, and I think that's a that's an interesting way to look at it too. It's a transition period in which we're getting a, a different kind of computer that's going to cost us more. But eventually, if you can hold on, you'll get a machine that's less. It's just the the delay in producing new models. If you're doing this, if you're you know producing updates every year with substantially better performance, and this is just a blip as they kind of retool to a new way of designing Macs, and when they're not releasing them this rapidly, then it becomes uh, more of a, well, <laughs> we didn't get the performance we needed, and we're paying more for design and you know lightness and, and form factor this time. Yeah. Um, yeah, they really were pushing the, you know, thinner, lighter thing to me and like the thinness of the computer is only really a big deal when you're carrying it and kind of so is the lightness so I think you know what it's like when you're using it is more important and um, so I've been using these MacBook Pros both of them and then if I have to go back to my MacBook Air for something or even just now when I sat down at the computer um, here in the podcast room the keyboard is one of those aluminum ones that came with the iMac, um, the the thick iMacs they used to sell. And the keys are just so bouncy and nice. And I, I miss these kind of keys. So anyway, yeah, I was trying to focus more on the, you know, the experience of using it rather than the size and shape. And I think Apple is... Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, a performance reviewer, and I think that they know that. Um, so... Yeah, like the graphic benchmarks were were much improved. I'm not really the person to speak to whether this is like a great gaming machine or if it's, you know, powerful enough for like VR um, kind of th- applications. But yeah, it's it's thinner and lighter, but I just don't think that that's a reason to buy a new computer. Um, we can get into something else too is Apple's defensiveness is apparently um, <laughs> because they're feeling, they're feeling kind of touchy these days uh, about things. And because of that- We all are. Stephen Levy- uh, <laughs> Stephen Levy at Back Channel, formerly of uh, Wired and some other publications, he um, wrote. He he said he was he was going to write about try to figure out where the touch bar, you know, some of the touch bar issues, and then Phil Schiller gives him a call because you know Phil just calls people up like that in order to um, talk about. Uh, no, I'm kidding. It's like you know he was able to get him on the phone. I should say it's being rude. Um, talked about you know, I think Apple is feeling touchy when people talk about the iOS iOSization. Say that. 
twice fast, right? The iOSization of Mac, and they're really pushing back. They're like, no, it's a different plane. You know, this is the input plane. You have a keyboard, you have the touchpad, you have a touch bar, you have, and the touchpad for that matter, and you have touch ID, and those are all on the input plane. The viewing plane is something very different. And I mean, that is a distinction, but I don't know. I mean, that's... Yeah, you know, they're saying we brought the best things we learned from iOS to the Mac, and um, that's that's fine. I don't think I have an opinion about it, but I think it's funny how they're they're feeling kind of sensitive right now. Um, I think it is the best parts of the of um, iOS brought to the Mac, and it really it makes a lot of sense just considering like kind of the trends in technology now, which is putting stuff that it thinks you're going to need at your fingertips, like before you even ask for it. Like it's, and this is kind of that expression in a computer. So, I mean, the phones are all about, you know, like predictive, like what app are you going to use next? Like here's directions to your next appointment. Like it's time to leave for this and just kind of like getting you the stuff you need when you need it. And, and, and this is that same thing. Like you don't have to like find your cursor, find the, you know, the, the movie that's playing on a, on a, page, you know, probably in a sidebar, macro.com, so annoying, and try to find it and mouse over it and find the pause button, like the pause button's on the touch bar. You don't have to like mouse up to, you know, the menu bar, the old old fashioned menu bar and <laughs> start pulling down menus and like searching through because the relevant buttons for the things that you're doing are just right there. So it really, it reminds me of, you know, like a Google Assistant or Amazon Alexa or something like that, but in a computer and no one's done that yet. And I think that was really clever of Apple. I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. I like it a lot. Well, I think uh, that all sounds very reasonable to me, as you are. You're always very reasonable. But I think there's this um, issue about I think Apple remains a little bit out of touch about some of the aspects. You know, So the USB-C thing came up as well as Touch Bar uh, in this, this Fact Channel interview. And here's what Phil Schiller said. This is paraphrased, so we don't know the exact words, but it's you know obviously the intent. Um, you know, uh, As far as dongles, he, Schiller, claims that most people won't need them. For the small number of people that do, ones are available. Uh, and I think that demonstrates a complete lack of like talking to users about how they use ports because I think um, it's really clear. So I put up a survey. This is a self-selected survey, obviously when this came out, because I wanted to know how are people using their ports on their Mac laptop. And I like linked to it in a previous podcast, I think. Yeah. I'm still, I haven't closed (laughs) it off yet. At some point I'll do it. But the thing I was curious, it's self-selected, which means, you know, you could, I I figured the bias would all be in one direction. People who are peeved about USB-C or, you know, Thunderbolt three being the dominant, um, I mean, sorry, the only port type besides audio analog port on the MacBook Pros. So I figured I get a lot of people who use them, use ports super heavily and adapters and really mad. So I feel like it's it doesn't make it any more statistically valid, but I have gotten incredible diversity of responses. So just looking at this 725 responses so far, which is a, a bunch, you know, and again, it's not 10,000 and I don't have any information about, you know, who chose to answer this. But even the first question, how frequently do you charge your iPhone or iPad via your Mac laptop? 36% said never, and the rest said, you know, a few times a month, a few times a week. 9.4% said it's my primary method. My so husband, I'm, yeah, my husband primarily right. charges his with a, off the computer. But even if you only do it a few times a week. So so I was looking at this. Well, only Every 36% of people, uh, 36% of people never do it. Only 10% do, you know, solely. And then and then someone pointed out to me, no, no, you're not reading this right. If you're doing it a few times a month, it means it's your method of doing it a few times a month. So really it's 64% of the people who responded need it at least sometimes. And some of those people need it a lot or all the time. And that means you need need at least one adapter. You don't, you know, and that I feel like 
Apple doesn't do. Uh, get the cable if you're going to get one of those. Just if, if I can make a suggestion. Well, the Lightning get, to uh, USB C cable. Now yeah, that it's cheaper. Yeah, because then you can use the the Mac the MacBooks um, charger to charge your iPhone. Oh yeah, it means you don't have to carry two chargers. You can charge through the Mac, and it's a great cable. And it's 19 bucks now from Apple instead of I think it was 29. It was 25. Was it 25 before? Oh, was that well? Yeah. Okay, so it's 19. I think it's 19 bucks now. And so that's yeah, that's yeah. a pretty good deal. And then you have a you know good cable. They warranty it, whatever. I mean, I got that cable because I got an iPad Pro, and I, iPad Pros cannot charge anywhere near their fastest rate through the standard USB type A adapter. You have to have a lightning to USB-C cable and a USB-C adapter if you want to be a uh, power adapter, if you want to be able to charge an iPad Pro at, um, you know, faster than a, you know, what feels like a trickle, especially the 12 point, uh, Seven, twelve point seven. Big inch. Pro, twelve point nine. Twelve point nine. Sorry, so nine point seven, twelve. Yeah, thank you for model numbers, Apple. The big, pro, the big iPad Pro. Um, big Pro and Lil Pro is what I call them. But I also got, you know, I asked people how many people are attaching a Thunderbolt two or Mini DisplayPort device to your Mac laptop. Almost half nah. the people are attaching a Mini DisplayPort, so you need an adapter for that. You can use a dock, but though you, or you can use a cable depending on the standard. You can get a USB C to full size DisplayPort, or you can get a, an adapter that you plug in a DisplayPort or HDMI. There's lots of options, but most of the time you're going to get some kind of adapter for that, at least a cable, if not an adapter. Thunderbolt 2 was 16% of people who responded. Um, you know, and some people have plugged in, 10% of people are plugging in external RAIDs. That tells you the bias I'm getting here. A lot of people are using the um, HDMI port that's built into some MacBook Pros. Um, it's like it was uh, – uh, at least 40% use it occasionally. So an Ethernet port, uh, some people use that occasionally, like half people use it occasionally or whenever they can, SD card, external mouse, like all these things. And then the final question I asked was, uh, do you plan to buy a, Mac, a 2016 MacBook or MacBook Pro? And uh, 40% said no, 30% said yes, and 30% said haven't decided. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think, again, this is not demographically balanced and perfect, but it's an interesting sampling of a broad swath of opinion given that I didn't address this to a particular audience. There's a lot of diversities, and I would hope, and Apple doesn't do focus groups anymore, or so they say. So, well, we know they took a survey. Like, people were tweeting um, right, pictures right. from a survey they sent to previous MacBook Pro owners asking them about the ports. And I mean, maybe they can get like, you know, data from when, when you send data back to Apple. Like, do they get data about that kind of thing? They might. I have no idea. But like Phil Schiller does this, and he's done it a bunch lately. And it's almost, I mean, I don't want to like use the term gaslighting but it's all it's in that like ballpark it's approaching gaslighting this like if i plug stuff in if, like don't tell me i don't need to plug stuff in if i know that i need to plug stuff in you know and it's like it's just uh, i don't know it's it's just an annoying like way to approach the problem and i'm not even saying that they're wrong to go usb c right, i right. have no problem with the decision and on this Mac, I actually haven't had to plug that much in, so it's fine. And you know, I, I don't mind buying different cables because um, the the transitions that they've brought us through already, like we've usually come out better on the other side. But it's just the kind of like just the the dismissiveness of like, oh, like all you guys are edge cases. Um, you know, like if if you need to plug stuff in, like you must be weird. I like go buy a dongle or whatever. Most people like don't have these kind of problems. Like that's just no, that's it's a just send, an annoying it's... thing to. Say. It's offensive. It's mo I mean, it's a it's a it's self justification. It's a, either a marketing message that he doesn't believe, or he's getting bad information and he's spreading it to make. I mean, what? Who's and they did feel it with the headphone jack too. He's like, you know, if, if you if you want to phone with a headphone jack, you're just not as brave as like the rest why, of us. Why <laughs> like, do you want to make your customers feel bad? 
Yes, thank you. This is my why? question. Why, why, Apple? Why, Call me, why, Phil. Call me, man. Phil, Phil is a. I've, I've really. I feel like the tone coming out of Phil and the tone coming out of Apple is blaming users for resisting change when Apple. So if Apple had announced. I mean, I shouldn't say this. This is the problem. The leak came out that there wasn't going to be a headphone jack. And because Apple is Apple, they didn't want to talk about it, right? They didn't want to talk about new models. They didn't get ahead of it. This can be a problem, right? And the same, what they could have done is they could have put out some bland thing that says you'll still be able if, – if Apple had said over the summer – we know there's a lot of, you know, we don't pre-announce anything. We don't discuss stuff, but don't worry. You'll be able to use your analog headphones with any new, with, you know, with whatever the next iPhone brings. Don't worry. If they had just said that everyone would have calmed the F down, like, yeah. and because Apple included the adapter, I mean, they A, made an adapter, B, included it, C, it's nine bucks. So in the it's end, nice. it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. Right. So it's not it's not a big deal. I mean, it is, it is a pain. It's another thing to lose. Like, there's no reason to remove it. All of these things are still true. However, they chose to not diffuse it. Then when challenged, they're like, well, it's not, a, you know, it's the future and everything is wireless anyway. It's like, no, you're being offensive to your customers. Courage is not an answer. And the same thing here. It's like saying we don't think that many people use them. Only a few people will need them and things are available. It's like, no, just include a goddamn type A adapter in the box. Include one. And that does solve probably – 80%, well, I mean, not with a MacBook Pro, maybe not. I still think anywhere from 20 to, that's 20 is too low. I think 40 or 50% of people who buy a MacBook Pro, a new one, will need an adapter, maybe more, even if you're not including wanting to charge your phone. Most people buying these new MacBook Pros are going to be doing something else with them, including external display. I mean, you I know, know they have their One thing I nerd. thought they should do is, um, oh, yeah. The thing I think they sh that they could have done, and, and this isn't really their style, but um, they could say when you buy it, you get to choose um, like of you know of the ones that they sell. You can pick like you know two of the cheaper ones or one of like the premium one. You know, like the ones that cost like twenty bucks, mm -hmm. you could have two of those, and the ones that cost fifty bucks, you could have like one of those, and you get to pick. And if you don't pick any, I mean, like I, everyone would, I think everyone would pick one. I don't think nobody would be like, you know what? No, I don't need any of these because I embrace the wireless future with all my courage. No, everyone would take one because like they're really, really handy to plug in all the stuff that we've been buying for years. Ye yep. Yep. But they didn't ask me. They didn't so. ask you. Well, look, and then when you're when it's your turn to run Apple, <laughs> it'll be it'll be just fine. Uh, all right, we've had, we've been yelling Wait, at Apple. There's a couple other th like little notes I wanted to say about the oh, MacBook I'm sorry. Pro, Please, and it's yes. not it's not all negative. I have some very nice things to say about it. Um, the MagSafe question. Um, I didn't mention this in my review, and a couple people have tweeted to me like blah 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 MagSafe. I actually like charging over USB C more than charging over MagSafe for a couple of reasons. One, it's convenient to be able to charge on either side. You know, it just is. And uh, the other thing is that if you, um, <laughs> I've been just telling you all my secrets. I eat while I'm using my computer and I'm also eating while using my computer in bed a lot of the times. And you know how like if you're in bed or on the couch or something and the MacBook is in your lap, any like little jostle of that MagSafe thing and it is not, if it doesn't have like a complete total seal, if it gets nudged a little bit, it can look like it's still connected and feel like it's still connected, but the little light goes out because it's not connected. Mm -hmm. And that yes. doesn't happen with USB-C. Yes, USB-C stays know. in there uh. even while you're computing in bed. I do miss the little light though. I wish yeah. the charging cable had a tiny light on it so I would know it was charging when like the lid is closed and the, the cable's connected. But of course it's charging when the cable's connected because USB-C cables stay connected 
connected. So I don't miss MagSafe. I'll go on the record as saying that. The other nice thing I want to say about the MacBook Pro is I love having Touch ID on a Mac. It's awesome. It's um, it's a change. Uh, it's a change having Touch ID there. I, I mean, we thought it was inevitable. I never thought it would come in this particular way. Um, I dig it. It's been easy to use. It's uh, I like how I can use it. Um, I, I was, you know, tooling around with uh, system preferences and you know how you have to like click the lock and enter your password. It was like, hey, just put your thumb down. It was like, hey, nice. So all those little things. Um, one password supports it now, which is, you know, amazing. So loving it. My, I never have to type my one password password in again, which means I never have to type in any of my passwords again. So I'm free from passwords. Thank you, Apple. Free from passwords. Well, as a segue there, I want to, I want to read. I found something I want to read about the um, Apple book to designed by Apple uh, just to cycle back. One thing is I'd mentioned earlier in the podcast, I thought uh, the iconic book was new. It's actually 2013. It's my mistake, but it covers uh, – this is the book. It's by Jonathan Zufi. It covers uh, not just the um, iMac to present era – um, which is what the this Ive book covers, uh, but the whole history of Apple's products. Uh, so that book has already been out for a few years. That's the one that I think Christina Warren was referring to being Sherlock. The other is, this is something from John Gruber. I wanted to read because I think it's right. It's Apple's products deserve this kind of, this sort of treatment. But part of me says someone else should have published it, not Apple, which is kind of what you and I were just saying. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's very, look at yeah. us. Like, aren't we great? Like braggy, brag, brag. It's, I don't It's very yeah. unseemly. It's, it's, it's not a good look. And TechCrunch's headline is Apple's releasing a coffee table book about how awesome it is. Right. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Uh, it's, so it's like a company that does this enjoys the smell of its own farts. I don't. Yeah, I know. I mean, eating your own dog food is one thing, but. Looking your own Smelling bot. your own farts, not as good, um, not the same. I want to transition. I've got a couple other things to talk about. I think we're, you know, we're, we're not going to talk for a lot longer, folks. We try to, we've been, we, our goal is to get this like 45 minutes. And, you know, Susie and I always have things to that's talk That's our to. goal? Uh, I didn't even know that. <laughs> that's been, that's why, if it wasn't, we'd wow, be talking we for suck at that. an hour and a half. Um, the, the, uh, review, the, the reviews I did of a bunch of iPhone lenses, oh, seven yeah, different great. systems. Thank you. Um, they've been in progress for a long time. I worked on this over the summer. And then, you know, Apple came out with a lot of products. And we've been trying to, you know, digest that review, get through it at Macworld. Uh, and uh, so the editors have been busy. And so now this uh, giant package, it's like 10,000 words. And I don't know, I think I wrote 25 reviews and seven main bars and whatever. And the idea behind how we are structured is uh, there's some background information. The, uh, these are all lenses that work add-on lenses for iPhone 6, 6S, and, and in many cases, SE and some iPads, depending on the case or attachment method. Some have a clip and some have a case and some have magnetic attachment. So uh, depending on the lens system, you may be able to use these with a huge variety. I focus on iPhone 6 uh, S and 6S Plus because that was the current phone at the time I was testing and I had a 6S to test with. But these will work with other devices and often with phones by other makers as well. So the 7, of course, we knew there was going to be new camera design issues. And um, the folks making these lens systems includes like ExoLens and Moment, um, HitCase and others. They're all in the process of various updates to their systems so they'll work with um, with the newer phones. And I figure there's hundreds of millions of, of phones and iPads out there that will work with the current lenses. So even if you've got an iPhone 7 or an iPhone 7 S, uh, 7 Plus, uh, you know, these 
reviews are not out of whack because you just have to wait for a case to come to be able to mount it. But in some cases, you'll be able to use the lenses immediately. The iPhone 7 Plus is a bigger issue because it's two closely uh, spaced lenses. And that's going to be a harder thing to create add-on systems to. And I don't know what lens makers will do about that and how that will work with Apple systems. So we'll see. But every single lens, iPhone and iPad, uh, you should be able to use this with. And I broke it into, there's like a bigger explanation of like how these systems work, what they get you. Um, then there's a separate discussion for um, uh, each kind of major lens. Like I didn't look at fisheye lenses. I tested them, but I think they're mostly gimmicky. I don't think in most cases they produce an yeah. image you like. So I, you know, I, I tested them and I didn't find anything to change my opinion about that. But there's a separate article instead of reviews for wide angle, telephoto, and uh, macro lenses. And in most cases, the macro is an 8 or 12x factor. The telephotos are almost all 2x. So they, you know, get something that looks as uh, twice as close as uh, it is or it fills the frame, um, you know, one quarter as much at full frame resolution. Um, and some cases you buy a system and you get all of those. In other cases, you can buy individual lenses or you get, you know, wide angle and telephoto, but not macro is not available. Um, so I rated all the lens systems in each of those categories as well as overall reviews for each system and each set of things. And um, there are some pretty great lenses out there and you can spend a bundle and get kind of a perfect lens. I think it's exo lens is probably the best system out there, but it's very expensive. Uh, you can spend uh, very, very little and get crappy lenses that are that are actually okay enough to use for sort of reference photos or as a memory. Like, I want a memory of this place, but I don't care if the photo is perfect. It'll be distorted around the edges. It'll have chromatic aberrations. So the colors won't be in uh, sync. They'll be sort of out of phase or it'll be distorted. Like, you'll, you'll have a barrel effect. Some of the lenses, you take a picture of something right in front of you and it's like everything's curling up around it. Um, and the more Weird. expensive lenses, the more lens elements you have, the more you can correct those effects. So cheaper add-on lenses are like one lens, basically. And the more expensive ones have multiple elements that allow, uh, that correct for all that kind of stuff and they kind of stabilize the image. Apple's own lenses have five or six lens elements in them, uh, depending on the model. And that's why the photos look so good out of the box, you know, the, uh, the stock ones. So take a look at that. Tons of reviews if you've been thinking about it and um, thinking about that and uh, see what might be good. You can, and like I said, you can spend a very small amount of money and get something like a pretty decent 2X telephoto, which is nice to have on hand um, if you don't have an iPhone 7 Plus. So They're fun that. to play with. They make good gifts. Yeah, it was really entertaining. I went and did a ton of shooting in different circumstances and um, had to swap lens cases on and off and on and off. Some of them are so all these different attachment methods. It was a, it was um, the biggest hassle in the world to test and very interesting. I brought a lot of uh, cloths along and uh, you know uh, lint-free cloths, uh, microfiber to clean off lenses. And uh, uh, but it was great to get the results and see what comes out. And um, we should have um, Robin still processing images for that. But we'll have. Uh, Images that sort of side by sides of the same scene from different lenses. Um, so there's that, and uh, and so so I think like one last thing I wanted to bring up is I'm working on a, I've got a private eye that you've got in your hands right now. I don't know when it'll go up. About um, this issue of like, it's you know we're not going to talk politics on this podcast. We don't do that, right? We're not a political podcast. We have we have no. our own opinions, but um, I'm going to be writing more as a lot of people are about uh, surveillance state and how to um, work. Uh, with the assumption your government might be hostile to you. And some people may hear that and go, oh my gosh, uh, are you talking about a new president or the new prime minister or the new, you know, um, secretary of uh, truth or, uh, you know, what country are you talking about? Or you must be talking about America and Donald Trump. It's like, well, you know, I'm spurred by any time there's a transition. Um, right now around the world, uh, I mean, 
there, there's nobody blameless in the Obama administration when it comes to issues of obeying all the laws about warrants and privacy and, and um, uh, the freedom from inspection without oversight, right? We know that. And the FBI, we talked a lot about the FBI case and the San Bernardino phone. Uh, we don't know what Donald Trump's approach to national security will be or uh, internal surveillance. Um, so it's a good time to evaluate it. He could be, for all we know, his administration may roll back. There's a lot of conservatives who were unable to get the Obama administration to roll back certain kinds of uh, overreach and want more protection. So for all we know, our rights may be more protected in law in a new administration, but it's a good time to stop and think. Um, you know, especially I, we're talking mostly, I know, to people live in America or, or work in America. Uh, but if you look around the world, uh, you look at uh, countries that are, you know, often on people's lists like China and Russia, where it's a matter of state policy to examine everything that's going on. In China, it's very explicit that the state monitors all kinds of public activity, but also is clearly involved in private. Uh, if you look at Turkey, which has had, you know, had an attempted coup, uh, right now there are people being rounded up. I'm not going to comment on whether it's right or not. I don't know the situation well enough, but there are people, uh, you know, professors being arrested in universities. Uh, you're expressing yourself in public or private has an effect on your employment, your freedom, and so forth. Uh, it's in democracies and in countries that are classified as dictatorships. Um, so I've got a column out about just some first steps, um, but those a lot more. And one of the things, Susie, is um, touch ID becomes this huge question if you use use it or not, because if you're in a place where you fear that an agent of the law, whether legally or not, will take your hand and force it on your phone or computer, that's a different equation than if you believe that all legal processes will be followed and no one will ever grab your hand and put it on your, your touch ID sensor. So um, we'll be talking about that in the weeks to come. Yay. Hooray. But it's good. I mean, we live in a time where there's unprecedented surveillance and unprecedented ability for individuals to choose their own path and kind of mediate what that means. And in many countries, even ones that have extremely repressive surveillance infrastructures, it's still not illegal in most places to use uh, various forms of encryption. It's just that they try to get subverted by the state as opposed to them not being available. So that's, you know, that's what we're, we're dealing with is whether – not whether – the tools will be available to you in every, you know, in most countries, um, they will be. Uh, there's no way for the state to stop or doesn't choose to stop them, but it's whether the ways in which you secure your systems and your communications can be um, invaded by the state with or without legal means. And I'm concerned primarily, of course, uh, you know, extra legal means. People should obey court orders. They should follow the legal constraints. You can exercise any... Um, uh, you know, civil disobedience you want, but we're not assuming this is a way to evade the law, but rather provide security within the constraints that are afforded to us by Declaration of Human Rights and other documents. Yeah, I just want to get really practical. Like, I don't, I don't want to get into you know why or right. you know who or where. I just want to you know like what, how secure is this like should i use file vault should i you know keep things in icloud should i use tor like things like that just super practical very nuts and bolts faq just tell me you know what tools are out there and then let 
you know, everyone decide for themselves. That's right. This isn't about a political issue. It, it, yeah. If you make it into a political issue, it's not about a particular administration, a particular country, a particular set of laws. As I say, it's not like we're about to go from a land of, you know, from uh, in terms of our personal privacy, freedom to use encryption, freedom from surveillance. We are not in a golden age in America for that right now. Uh, we can't predict what age we're going into. The transition is why it's a good point to stop and look at what you're doing rather than any assumption that we're going from good to bad, bad to good or any other transition. It's just this is the point at which you say the future is unknowable, but I can take measures now knowing what I know and uh, secure myself against whatever may come. And again, people outside America have in many cases a much more mixed bag of um, what government experience is like. And not that America is perfect by any means, but um, you know, most people in the world live in countries in which there is a, a much greater, uh, you know, if you look at China, Russia, um, Brazil, even uh, India, uh, most people live under legal regimes. This is legal in the countries in which they live, uh, where the government has much more right to inspect private material. So that's simply just a legal matter um, if it's available, if it's unencrypted. So if you protect yourself, you can actually still be working within the laws in those countries and yet uh, have greater privacy from government intrusion. And this has been the Marxist-Leninist hour. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a communist standpoint at all. Um, it, it spans – this is another thing too is that you can find political – or you can find um, strong opinions about the sanctity of our own private thought and expression across a wide political spectrum. So it's not – this is not a liberal point of view, a conservative point of view. You can find people across a huge spectrum who want to uphold the notion that people have the right to private expression that's free from state monitoring whatever ideology they have. So um, – That's very true. Yeah. It's not just – this isn't just uh, you know one spot on that big spectrum. So having uh, threaded that needle, I think it's time to <laughs> – time to turn off the wiretaps and um, – and move on. So, uh, folks, if you have questions, thoughts, comments, podcast at macworld.com is how you can email us directly. You can leave comments at macworld.com on this podcast post. You can find Susie Oaks, S-F-S-O-O-Z like Z on Twitter. You can find me, G-L-E-N-N-F on Twitter. Let us know what you think. We want to talk about a bunch of this stuff. We've been talking a lot about the MacBook Pro because it's the newest thing that's out there. And uh, we know a lot of people are interested in uh, the ports and uh, how it works. And now you've got Susie's reviews of all the models to read. Um, and, um, you know, next week, I think we'll probably be talking less, maybe, about MacBook Pros, <laughs> more, about, more about other issues. But uh, keep, us, uh, keep, us letting, uh, keep letting us know what you're interested in, and we'll, uh, we'll try to talk about stuff. So, Susie, thanks for another fine week of discussion. Always a pleasure. Uh, thank you. And uh, this has been the Macworld Podcast. In case you were wondering, episode 534 for November 16th, 2016. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and we will be back again next week. Thank you for listening.